2: What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try.
0: Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David
1: Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit ehearnownetwork.com forward slash David.
0: Hello, everybody. I'm David Nick Turn, and welcome to another edition of my podcast, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck. Uh, today's guest is my friend Daniel Aiken, who happens to be my publisher of uh, my books and also is a serious Dharma brother and companion along the uh, meditation path, a student of Garwang Rinpoche, serious student. So we're going to talk to Daniel a little bit about some of his uh, aspects of his life and bringing together these different elements of his life. Uh, first, Daniel, maybe could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm publisher of Wisdom Publications. Um, and I have a Ph.D. in Buddhist studies. Uh, focusing on the Tibetan language mainly. And I've had senior executive roles in a number of multinationals, mainly to do with marketing and branding. Uh, and that led those twin sort of parallel interests in my life of business and Dharma sort of have come together and joined in my most, you know, in this um, incarnation of my career as you know, at Wisdom
0: Publications. So, considering the book that we just put out together, Creativity, yeah. Spirituality and Making a Buck, now that I'm thinking about it it's just hugely auspicious that we ended up working on that book uh, and putting it out through your company. Because you are a manifesto of those principles,
1: mm-hmm. clearly. Yeah, you speak a lot about tendril uh-huh. and I think this is a form of tendril for myself that yeah. this manuscript came across my desk and it's the type of uh, dharma Meets practical life that mm. I love. Mm. You know the the testing ground for this wisdom. You know business is a great workshop to test these these um, practices in. So yeah, yeah, I love your book for that reason.
0: Can you explain what tendril is for folks who might not know?
1: A tendril. You you often talk about tendril as like an auspicious connection, right? There's different terms in Tibetan, trinle uh, or tendril, Tendril Gijungwa. And it means dependent origination. But in this sort of context, it means the coming together of um, different conditions. And you use the word synchronicity. Mm. And I think that's a, that's a, that gets to it, that word synchronicity.
0: Well, so of course, it's interesting to consider what role did that play, for example, in you meeting your teachers? You have some very, very uh, potent and you know, kind of highly regarded Tibetan teachers. Mm -hmm. And you must have met them somewhere along the way. How did that happen? You know,
1: I was very interested in dharma from a young age Mm -hmm. and... How young? Very young. So I was definitely, you know, reading dharma books when I was like 10, 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, actually, sorry, probably 13, Mm -hmm. more like 13. Mm -hmm. Seriously, just reading and searching. And then after a while, you know, went looking for Dharma centers and used to drop into different dharma centers at thirteen in Australia. No, a little bit later. So, like, I'd be reading. Thirteen, I was at high school, so reading at high school, and then um, later, you know, as I got into college, I, like, you know, got out into the world a little bit more and looked, you know, dropped into dharma centers. So, what and, year you know. are we talking about?
2: When
0: when were oh you in college?
1: I was in college 80, 90, 90s, early nineties early nineties. Yeah. And were there dharma centers in Australia at that? Point? I didn't. Th- the first one I was reading, I didn't think there were. Uh-huh. But it turned out that there was, you know, there's great interest in Dharma in Australia and there was many centres. Tibetan particularly. Yeah, Tibetan or? Buddhist centres. But in Sydney, you know uh-huh. it's a little bit of um where I grew up was about an hour out of Sydney. So then I um but then, you know, and then sometimes visiting teachers would come through. So then I'd drop into different centres. But eventually I found my way to this center in Sydney and saw and met a teacher there that really struck an accord with me.
0: Just met him at a talk
1: or Yeah, you know, I'd go into Dharma talks and then um, and then I'd ask the teacher a question or two,
0: uh-huh.
1: and normally f- be unsatisfied with the answer. Were you kind of a smart aleck kid, or did, you know? No, I don't you... think so. I don't know. But did, uh, did you feel respectful to them? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So I, you know, very respectful and just uh-huh. sort of asked questions at the end. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But then this teacher, I sort of asked some questions and um, was blown away by the answers. And so then I kept asking questions. Yeah. And then I was like, it seemed like this Lama knew everything. And who was that? That was Geshe knowing something. Who's one of your main teachers? One right? of my main teachers, right. yeah. And do you remember any question you asked him and what answer he gave you? you know? I can't remember exactly. I just remember yeah. the feeling. Okay. The feeling of, yeah. oh my gosh. Right. And then that the answers were so exact and precise. Wow. So that really yeah. captured me. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to hang around a little bit. Yeah. So you still work with that teacher, right? Yes. And... and
0: He's obviously older than you, right? Or, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. A lot older? Or? No. No, mm-hmm.
1: uh, 15 so he's, years. Oh, so he's still going to be around for a while. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and your other teacher is? Uh, Gawan Rinpoche, who you know. Yeah. So I'm among Rinpoche. Yeah. So I met Rinpoche, uh, well, my first encounter with Rinpoche was in uh, Sikkim at his monastery. Right. But it wasn't... What were you doing there? No, I was actually with geshe We were doing pilgrimage. Uh-huh. And we went up to Sikkim and then we went to this monastery and, Rinpo- and Rinpoche's Monastery in Sikkim there in lingdum Gompa. And I, f- I went into the t- Gompa there and it just blew me away. Uh, there was a statue of Padmasambhava and uh, 16 Kamapa, huge statues, and then the Buddha. And then I was really intrigued by that lineage. Turns out that uh, Rinpoche, I was going to America soon after. Mm-hmm. And Rinpoche was going to America soon after as well. So then we... Um, you went together? No, no. We mm-hmm. didn't really even know each other. That uh-huh. was like the first encounter, but right. uh, then uh, I met Rinpoche in, in Boston there. So that's how I came in contact with Rinpoche there. In Boston, you mean? In Boston. Him. Uh-huh. But you had
0: seen him in Sikkim?
1: Or? Yeah. yeah. And then you met him in Boston? Yeah, we, we connected right. in Boston. Do you remember the first conversation you had? You know, I didn't even. Um, I remember seeing Rinpoche for the first time yeah. in Boston. So it was in, it was at Harvard and Rinpoche was undercover in a, a buddhist 101 class can you imagine Te- teaching it? Really? no as a student in the background no and he didn't have robes on he was really undercover wow and then i and but you recognized him i didn't recognize him i recognized him as i, I don't know there was this weird thing yeah. i walked in and then um i felt i i saw Rinpoche up in the back and i bowed uh-huh. but i didn't know who it was but i just felt like and he was like and then he was like, "Well, who is this person who who sort of knew me?" And Ali my was cover, the same. Right. Yeah, Ali was the same. And so then after, Ali being your wife. Yeah, Ali. Yeah, Ali, my wife. So we we both had that same karmic feeling. And so then the rest, then there was just that connection. So we didn't know. And then Rinpoche came. He, actually, Rinpoche, the next class, Rinpoche had printed something out from the last class uh, on the same topic as the last class, and he gave it to us. And he said, "This is that." So he's, and it turned out that we didn't even know who he was. Still, right. okay. No and but it was a printout from his own book. And do you remember what that printout? It, it was about the
0: uh, stages of death in the Bardo. So a nice introductory topic and uh, yes. yeah, mind mindfulness <laughs> in everyday life, right? Yeah. Wow. So you know, a lot of people these days, Daniel, ask when you go out and teach workshops of how do I find a teacher? Mm. How would you answer them?
1: Don't know. <laughs> I, I I think it's very comic. Uh huh. I feel like with Geshe-la and with Rinpoche for me and both Rinpoche and Geshe-la have said like one time Geshe-la, when he was explaining karma he said to me so why am I here and why are you here and why have our paths crossed in mm-hmm. in Sydney here what are the odds and um and that was his way of teaching me karma because I used to be very skeptical of karma and then Rinpoche has said the same things he's like you know only these sort of like strange conditions uh, he considers that karma has sort of brought us together. Right. So I think with uh, teacher and students, they're karmic. Mm-hmm. So should somebody look? Yeah,
0: they absolutely. Should look. You were looking. Yeah, definitely. And you were asking questions, which is an interesting mm. uh, piece of the puzzle. I'm curious, we're going to get to your professional life in, mm. in a little bit, but the Dharma, the Dharma piece is so intriguing in a way. People are aware of the origins of some of these teachings coming from you know, Tibet and... Japan and China and yes. so forth, um, and I think there was an influx of, of um, teachings starting in you know the late sixties and early seventies mm-hmm. into the West, and now it's pretty full on. And I think a lot of people are getting access to Buddhism without even knowing where it came from, really, or yeah. what the basic sort of tenets of you know the the ant, the, the original um, formations of it were. You got a
1: PhD in Buddhist studies. Yes. So
0: did you contemplate becoming a monastic at some point?
1: Uh, early on when I was spending a lot of time with Geshe-la, it sort of come up. He was a monastic, right? Yeah, he's he's he a, monastic, a monastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd spend a lot of time with him and with his um other Geshi friends. Uh-huh. And so it felt like I was always around monks and then it would be more easier if I was a monk to go to the monasteries with Geshe-la in India would have been just, easier. It would have been easier especially for Geshe-la, I think rather than having a, a lay person um, be in all these situations. But yeah, so it, I felt a little bit like it might be more convenient. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh-huh. But I never felt, you know, we, I had these conversations with geshe and I'd say mm-hmm. to geshe well, Geshe-la's, um, especially Geshe-la's um, friends who would say, well, would you come, like talk about being a monk? Yeah. And I said, well, if you, if you can convince me that um, I should become a monk, yeah, because they're logicians, these geshis. Yeah, and and they they sort of, you know, we we discussed. But then I said, there's many lay practitioners in Tibetan right. history. Yeah, and they did okay, so maybe this will be okay.
0: Keeping with the sort of topic, uh, this general topic of creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. So your spiritual track was very deeply laid early on. It sounds like yeah, really profound part of who you are and what mm-hmm. you're interested in this lifetime. So how did your professional life develop? Why didn't you just say, you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to make my life. I have a PhD. I'm going to translate texts. I'm going to be a yep. hardcore professional Buddhist.
1: Yeah. I happened? think the business thing had taken off before the PhD thing. Ah. So I, oh. I did my first de- degree in business. Oh. And so I was always always interested in branding and marketing. And so I was always juggling these two sort of, um, you know, the Dharma and and marketing and branding. Yeah. So. They're sort of it felt like two lives for a while there. So this is, we yeah. have this in common, right yes. the feeling
0: of going back and forth between the two worlds. yeah. W- did it ever feel like you're being pulled apart? like yeah. you know absolutely yeah. like wow, this is so uh, so intense. I, I you know tell the story in my book how I had to leave Los Angeles you know at the sort of peak uh, in the 70s of my music career mm. and then going off to to be the head of uh, Karma Chilli, you know, yeah. Contemplative Center for two years. Um, that there was some feeling of like being pulled apart in two different directions did you have that same experience or that same
1: feeling i felt i think your story was more like you know you really made a choice to go right. in one direction for a little while right and gave gave up a huge opportunity in career yeah i always tried to have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> but it did feel like to excel in any one i needed, you needed to make a choice Wow. and so was i compromising
2: right.
1: um and and for me it was always going to be the choice was always going to be dharma rather than business i knew that mm-hmm. so the, but at the same time i always felt that you needed to be able to support yourself mm-hmm. and so like, you right be, livelihood right livelihood mm-hmm. it's not set up like in india or tibet our culture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's no support system for a professional Dharma, student. yeah. Being a monk is right life yeah. in those cultures. Yeah, exactly. Right, it's seen that way. Exactly. So I didn't even feel like there was that option for professional Dharma student. Well, couldn't you have been the
0: you know next generation Robert Thurman, you know, professor at a prestigious university
1: of Buddhist studies, translator of texts, you know, teacher? Yeah, I never had that. I never had that wish. Uh-huh. So the reason I did my PhD is one of my other teachers was ba- was dying. And his last sort of like instruction to me was go get a PhD and I resisted. I said, no, I don't want to do that. Wow. And then he basically commanded me. Wow. So I, I ended up agreeing and wow. said, okay. And okay where I'll did you get that PhD? PhD? University of Tasmania.
2: <laughs> yeah. he, he he sort of
1: suggested that as well, so wow Tasmania. Where, where's Tasmania? yeah, yeah, in, in the bottom in the bottom of nowhere no, bottom of Australia you know you know Australia sure, the yeah. island down at the bottom there that's right. uh
0: tasmania it, it's It's pretty easy to say that you've put these two things together into your current uh, uh job, which is as the you're the CEO and the publisher of wisdom, right yeah. so tell us a little about what
1: wisdom's mission is. Wisdom's mission is to um, is to connect people with the authentic Buddhist tradition. Okay. So, for people who specifically want specifically Buddhist, yeah, yeah, Buddhist. Okay. So, connect people with authentic Buddhist wisdom. That's wow. sort of the mission. And the way I describe it is um, you know, the mission sort of expands as time goes on mm-hmm. in terms of how we connect people. Mm hmm. But what we're trying to connect them with is is, is pretty consistent. So these timeless truths of Buddhism. Well, I'm now doubly honoured to be
0: on on, on, <laughs> on on that imprint because, you know, some people could argue my book is sort
1: of uh, uh, not so timeless. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> more it's ti- more timely. No, yeah. it's timely, yeah. and um, but the principles in it yeah are timeless yeah in a way. Well, it's interesting that you do, so you, you see it as a Buddhist book, I
0: guess. Absolutely. Yeah, it's. Inter- I'm trying to. Personally, bring it out in a way that it's it's not constricted by that identification.
1: Yeah,
0: you know that that the the type of meditations that's presented in our universal mindfulness and compassion things like that. So um, you wouldn't take a Hindu book or a
1: Sufi book or a, a shaman book
0: and publish it on
1: wisdom. Um, most likely not. It'd have to have some connection. Right. So it have to, to have some a connection tradition. to Buddhist tradition. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course, you you remember my suggestion for the book that we could put together for wisdom that would sell millions of copies. What is that know? one again? Wisdom for Dummies. Wisdom for Dummies. Yeah, we, we got to do that book. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can write that book. I will definitely need to read it. <laughs> or it could just be W I S D U M B. Yeah, wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> so um, there's a creativity coming out. Yeah, there you have it. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk a lot about. As you know, the kind of sense of vision, which you're clearly a visionary in terms of taking that job on. And then what, what is your notion of the vision for wisdom going forward? Yeah. I mean, obviously one thread of it is to be authentic portal for yeah. traditional Buddhist wisdom. But what else could you add to that mix that, that would be unique to your vision?
1: for it? Yeah, there was a, a conference I was at and I was asked to speak. To, about the future of publishing mm-hmm. in the Buddhist context. Mm-hmm. So, and basically, it was a gathering of all um, people who run Dharma centers. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few of people. It was like international gathering. Mm. And um, so, I started off by saying, Who in the room first encountered Buddhism via a book? And 99% of the people put up their hands. Yeah, sure. And That's then it's right. like, it just shows how important <sighs> books have been in the right. transmission of this this these teachings to the west and then but then i said and most of them were you know baby boomers gen x Mm -hmm. you know people directors of centers and i said imagine 10 years from now imagine 15 years from now and i asked the same question Mm -hmm. there's going to be less hands raised and so how are people, how are people connecting with the dharma Mm -hmm. whether it's youtube whether it's facebook who knows where that's going and i said that's the future mm-hmm. we have to be in those places mm-hmm. you know wisdom has to be in those places and so i felt a big part of the vision that i needed to bring to wisdom was to help wisdom be in those places yeah so um get into different media yeah. do podcasts do online courses the stuff we've we've been doing together you know as you're
0: saying that yeah. i'm thinking that scene from the matrix mm. where um, uh, Neo. Has to learn kung fu, yes. and they just they plug him in, and they show him doing it, and then like seconds later he looks up and he goes, "I, I know, know kung, kung fu." fu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like I'm I a tenpo. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like plug it in, and somebody has 15 years of Buddhist uh, training implanted into them. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, mind-boggling almost to think how, and, and it's interesting to think about it, as the media changes from books. Yeah. To whatever you know, mu- multimedia digital uh, communication, yeah. how the training um, goes, you know,
1: wh- does that change the way that people will be trained in the future? Do you think? Absolutely, I think books will be always important, as far as I can see, for now. Uh-huh. But it's it's the auxiliary content. Uh-huh. So, like, we have your your book now, right? But we just we just have been filming together. A lecture series, right? And so, most likely, people will come across the lecture series before they read the book,
0: right? So that's the ninety-nine percent of the hands that went up. Absolutely, fifteen percent of the hands are going to go
1: I saw it online or saw a yeah. lecture series, and then maybe ninety-nine yeah. percent first encountered Dharma online. Well, do you think books have a future as books? Absolutely. Yeah. Fifty years from now, do you think somebody will be sitting reading a book on a beach? People will be reading, but uh, but, and we can call it a book. What it will look like, who yeah. knows? Yeah. Uh-huh. But I think there's there's a place for um, you know, written content. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Of course the Buddhist path trajectory started before books started. Isn't that yep. true? Yeah. So can you
0: say a little bit about that for people who don't know?
1: I think uh the oral transmission has always been important for Buddhism. But there were no books. Yeah. At the very bar- like from the time that Buddha lived
0: and taught, yep. as I understand it, for about several hundred years, there was no written transmission. That's right.
1: So it was only oral yes. transmission. Yes. Memorization becomes very important in that. But it's still a game of telephone, you know? Yeah.
0: Four noble truths, I thought th- th- there were five. <laughs> <laughs> What's the fifth noble truth. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the oral transmission. Now, what are the different kinds of transmissions in Buddhism? There are more than one, right?
1: Uh Yes. So there's the what? What do you mean exactly? Well, like, there's oral. Yeah. There's mind transmission, right? Oh, there's okay. sign transmission. Yeah. So, okay. so, there is the um, what is it? The the four kindnesses of a lama. Okay. And and it's they trans do the transmission by uh or, oral by sign by mind and I think I think written is I don't know if written is one of them. There might uh-huh. be three. Uh huh. It's escaping me at the moment, yeah. but I know what you're talking about. Oral, at least oral. Yeah gesture or mantra, sign, yeah.
0: and direct transmission yeah. mind to
1: mind this is in the zogchen teachings they talk oh, about this a lot yeah so
0: that's true not just of buddhism but kind of everything right in a way
1: yes you know if you think about Bo- body speech and mind yeah, body how we, speech commun- and mind. Communicate. how we communicate those yeah. three
0: yeah yeah so do you think buddhism suffers from being perceived as a kind of specialized kind of knowledge maybe not accessible because it seems clouded in kind of intricacy. You just said something like really mm. powerful. Mm. Body, speech, and mind is how we communicate. Yeah. Now, if you then say, oh, well, it's nirmanakaya and sambhogakaya, and, mm. and you start to articulate the 19 versions of this and that. This. Can you lose the power of something as powerful and simple as saying we communicate through body,
1: speech, and mind? Things get lost in the details for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and there, there is a tradition of the pith instruction. Yeah. Mm. What's that? And that is direct statements that get you straight to the heart. Yeah. Of 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 and this is like, you know, and science can do that. Mm. Right? Science but E equals
0: squared? Yeah, yeah I mean? we
1: could say that. Yeah. yeah like Whoa, this is yeah. pith instructions. This is the real essence. And you know, when you've got someone who has really tasted it yeah. and is, is giving you instructions from experience. Yeah. This is very powerful. So can you cite a couple of examples of Pith instructions? I think uh, the Doha's from Sadaha. you know, there's a thing called Gur in like uh, spiritual songs, Doha's. Sure. And what that is, what a Doha is, is when a great master has realization, yeah. they express it through body, speech, and mind. Right. And, and it's spontaneous. So expression through body might be dance. So uh-huh. we have, and this is creati- creativity in at will play. Okay. Right, so a great master has a realization and then spontaneously expresses it through dance, through song, and of course, their mind it's an expression of their mind. Well, and those traditional monastic dances that people see, somebody made those up at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, right? that's where it came from. So, like the yeah. famous, we our tradition, we share a tradition, mm-hmm. the Zomang tradition, mm-hmm. and the Zomang tradition is very famous for a Chakrasambara dance. Mm-hmm. And this Chakrasambara, the, the origins of this Chakrasambara dance is from. Um, a yogi that got who is realized mm-hmm. and then um, express that realization through their body mm-hmm. and then um, that gets passed down and then becomes more formalized and this is where the details come in. sure so the f- dance we see now and in, in um tibet they will do that dance 24 hours like it won't stop so they'll have different teams come in oh and mm-hmm. it's all formalized and ritualized but Maybe that looks quite different to the original essence of what that dance was. I don't know, but right. we, can, we can say that. But, but in terms of creativity yeah. and
0: people saying, well, you're not really creating anything. This is traditional. You know, People like to say that dharma is traditional. I'm doing it the way it was done. Somebody in the beginning made the whole thing up. Oh, expression is creativity. Right. So all these forms which sort of feel like you have to do it this way and hold it this way and so forth, somebody in the beginning just said, I think I'm going to do it this way.
1: <laughs> yeah, and if you think about where those dances came from, they were creative expressions of realization. Okay. You cannot get more. It's the, the it's the essence of spontaneous act, action. Right, right. So it's a funny twist, isn't it?
0: That yeah. that that spontaneity, and we've talked, we've joked about this before. Yeah. But when you look at these very formalized monastic institutions, you know, yeah. and their 15-year kenpo degrees yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It all goes back to, in our tradition, to crazy yogi
1: Talopa. Yeah, that's
0: right. Right? And, um, you know, um, who my son Ethan would say, by today's standards, would be uh, analyzed as having a psychotic break, (laughs) 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 seeing blue people in the sky. And, you know, um, so what do you think the balance is, because we can take this into the creative world, between uh, the spontaneous quality of realization? And
1: then this ritualized uh, follow up on it. How do you how do you maintain that balance? I think uh, it's it's one is outwardly. Mm-hmm. So so when someone has realization and they express it, it's very spontaneous. Um, but then you can use if you don't have the realization, you can use that expression. And mimic that sp- expression to get back to the reala- to get to the realization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like a ladder. It's something? like a ladder. So like so that's how it gets formalized, and then you mm-hmm. get taught a dance, or you get taught a uh, um, visualization, or a song, and you use that to connect with that uh, original um, source from where that creative energy came from, which is the realization. But you, can you get hung up on the ladder? Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Of course. So then the forms sort of take over for a period of time. For sure. And then That's somebody danger. breaks through, you know, uh, you know. maybe you can tell people about the mad yogi of Bhutan. Oh, Drupka Kunli. Yeah. Drupka Kunle, yeah. Yeah, because I think this idea of crazy wisdom is something, some people are magnetized by it, some people are repelled by it. They, mm-hmm. they just say, oh, this is fake thing and, uh, you know, these are just crazy people. Mm. But the way Trungpa Rinpoche used to talk about it, was, he said the rag translation is wisdom crazy. Yeah. So the wisdom comes first, meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and the crazy is not crazy. It's just from a conventional point of view. It's beyond sort of conventional forms. Yeah. So Kunli was what? Fifteenth century AD in Bhutan. Yeah, I think something is like it? that. Yes. And he did all kinds of strange things to to yeah. wake people up, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure, he he was he was out there. That's yeah. for sure. So, um, what's the balance between that kind of bursting bu- somebody's bubble? Let's say the part of the Dharma teachings where you're. Breaking through somebody's conventional mind, and also sort of training them to be kind of more linear and more logical. You 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 have the unusual quality of studying the Gelugpa tradition, which is maybe perhaps a little more linear or not yeah, necessarily. Yeah,
1: for, for sure, I see Geshe as like a, the great scholar side of things, right? And Rinpoche as the siddha, yeah, uh, definitely. Although Rinpoche is a kempo as well and has been mm-hmm. trained very well, and of course Geshe is a yogi, right? But But you know they have definitely have different emphasis. What's their relationship like? Uh, They don't really know each other, only through me asking. um, Well, remember Chase said this, or Geshel said that. Like your father, (laughs) putting them (laughs) into imaginary debate, like your father and mother. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's
0: you know. I mean, here's a conversation you and I have had at at uh, Hungawi Restaurant, which is a great vegan Korean restaurant Uh, in Manhattan. Yeah, and we were talking about this book coming out, and I said, "Well, how many copies of the book do you think we're going to sell?" and i think you said something like 8000 i said 800000 yeah 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 <laughs> you know which which was sort of the vision of the of the project um, and then i said to you i asked you what's your vision for your personal future mm. and it was interesting out of at the same time like it was like watching somebody with binoculars and they split and one went left and one went right yeah, yeah, yeah. you said i would like to with ali my your wife yeah. i'd like to do a 10 year retreat That was one train of thought. And then the other, really quite simultaneously, without any kind of like cognitive dissonance or gap, uh, you said, on the other hand, I would like to take wisdom Mm -hmm. into the future and create a very broad platform for the sort of onset of uh, and availability of the Buddhist wisdom into the West. And I just looked at you for a while, you know, and I thought, you're a perfect person. You should read my book. <laughs> I did your workbook, which was fantastic. Well, how how would you resolve those? I, I, I wanna say I resonated deeply with both of those aspirations, but how would you resolve them in a sort of linear time
1: in a temporal domain which we live? Out- yeah, it's been the story of my life in a way, uh-huh. trying to solve that puzzle. Okay. And you know, I you know, I've been through various iterations of when I was doing marketing, I was I've always brought Buddhism into it. So uh-huh. I was like, okay, marketing, basically, that's just Dakshin Namjai. Mm-hmm. Just equalizing exchanging yourself with others. So if you get very good at being able to look from someone else's perspective mm-hmm. uh, in the Lojong practice, mm-hmm. then you can just do that in marketing. So who's my audience? What's their need? What's, and so you jump in their shoes, and then you can come up with a proposition, and your whole marketing campaign takes from, uh, away from that. So who is your audience? If my audience or was… Wisdom. A wisdoms audience. Yeah, I think people who want to uh, who want to live um, inspired and meaningful lives, and have a tendency to draw that inspiration from Dharma, from Buddhist Dharma, from Buddhist Dharma. Yeah. So
0: one a A is to live an inspired and meaningful life. Yeah. And two is we're providing a channel for those people, in particular the ones who see an important element of that as studying uh, the traditional Buddhist teachings.
1: Yes. And that's the, pretty. That's pretty good. Do you have that as your vision statement for the company now? It, um, that's my personal vision statement for the company. So when oh. I was doing your workbook, that's sort of the thing stuff that's I was kind writing down. The thing out. that you wrote down. And and you know, um, and it's very much in accord with my own values of what I'm trying to do in, in your my, life, in my life. Personally. Yeah.
0: Uh, and then um, it was. Is there a sense of the size of that market? You're yeah, a branding just, and marketing guy, you said. Yeah. So what, what's the size of that market? I want to be inspired and visionary in my life, and I want to sort of access the Buddhist teachings as, a, as an important
1: channel for that. Yeah. To me, that's millions of people. Do you know how many Jewish
0: people there are on the
1: planet Earth? Mm, no, I, no, tell take, me. Take a guess. We're very, 20 fortunate. million.
0: It's only 14 million. 14 million. So you, th- and, and there's like, uh, I think,
1: how many Buddhists? I think maybe 200 million Buddhists. Yeah. It depends if you count the Chinese. Yeah, Buddhists. yeah. Um, I, if you count them, it's, it's like huge. It's huge. Yeah,
0: and then there's you know something like eight hundred million Hindus and yeah. like a uh, couple of billion Christians, you know, and yeah. uh, so and and Muslim also is a big one. So the Buddhist crowd, even just if you use that metric, there's already lo- a lot of people to right. to to talk to.
1: Right. Um,
0: my premise is that. Many many people say I'm kind of a Buddhist, but I not I'm not, you know, registered. I'm not a registered Democrat. I'm kind of a Democrat, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm not a
1: registered Buddhist. Yeah. So that's I want- why I say people who draw yeah. inspiration from the Buddhist um, world you yeah. don't have to be Buddhist. Well, so look at the mindfulness yeah. revolution. Yeah. Is that a
0: Buddhist revolution? Do you think?
1: No, I think mindfulness is uh, goes beyond Buddhism. For example, the Buddha, the Buddha himself, learnt meditation from you know, the yogis, forest yogis that were around at his time. So Buddhism can't lay claim to ownership of the practice of mindfulness.
0: I don't believe. So the focusing or concentration element, the shamatha element, is not inherently Buddhist, is what you're
1: saying? No, the Buddhist teachers were going into jhanas. There's some people that say that the term, they weren't really going to jhana. Yeah. But anyway, say what I'd,
0: jhana is for the people who don't know.
1: Just deep absorption of meditative like, absorption, deep meditative absorption. And uh, like a kind of going into a zone kind of, a,
0: a certain kind of spaced
1: yeah, like, out quality? Uh, I, I don't know if it's spaced out, but it's withdrawal. Withdrawal. And it's withdrawal, and it's it's a deep absorption, right. meditative absorption. Right. Um, and and to, to where you withdraw from this, Okay, now
0: don't a lot of people think that's what meditation is for? When you talk to people, they think checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's as a as a meditation teacher. That's probably the single most consistent thing I try to communicate is we're not checking out; we're checking in. Yeah, yeah. And so when you um, say Buddhism, then like, how would you define? In other words, you're sort of limiting in a way your vision to the people who are paying attention to the Buddhist tradition. In, in, can you visualize a segment of the population that might not characterize themselves that way, but that might be interested in, in, in the basic principles that we're talking about? Absolutely.
1: How, yeah, I think the content drives our audience, right? Uh-huh. So the people interested in the type of content we're drawing from. Um, so yeah. we'll, you, know, you don't have to say, I'm Buddhist, uh-huh. but to benefit from your book, anyone who mm-hmm. might be inspired by some of the ideas in your book, right. that's our audience. Right. But I don't think you can also say, I, we're going to be everything to everyone. Obviously, you don't want yeah. to do that.
0: Yeah, uh, it sounds like you have a clear mission and a clear mm-hmm. focus. Um, probably, potentially more so. Like you have two things, but a, a lot of people at your stage might have thirty things or no things. To, yeah. to, to, it seems clear those are your two. Your two. Which two? The, well, the, the the branding and marketing and bringing the Buddhist wisdom to the world. to the niche and to yeah. the larger group, and your own personal evolution as a practitioner.
1: Yeah, and I'm coming. Uh, you know, I'm coming to new understandings around that because I used to think that you had to do the personal work first before uh, you could bring uh, something to the world, mm-hmm. and then then you'd um, be dead. Then you'd be dead. <laughs> I also like the analogy. I think Freud had this. No, no, Jung maybe had the analogy of the alchemist, right? Uh-huh. And so the, the alchemist is there trying to turn lead or some substance into gold, right? right. He's into the transforming the substance. Mm-hmm. But the real work he's doing is, as he's doing that is transforming himself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. I Good. think of oh, my work uh-huh. at wisdom. It's not like I, you know, my work at wisdom is also my work on myself. So they're right. coming together in that way that uh, the analogy of the alchemist, mm-hmm. I, I, I like, quite like that.
0: But you've sort of mixed these two elements In your day, right, you spend a fair amount of time doing your personal practice, Mm -hmm. and then you work your butt off to run the company, That's right. right. So do you find you have any time or life left at all uh, over after that, or is that pretty much
1: a consuming formula? It's fairly consuming, I'd say, I think. Do you have any hobbies? Surfing, but I don't do much surfing in Boston. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... Um, but I'm always, you know, for Are me, you still surfing actively when you travel? You yeah, go? when I go back to Australia, I'll go surfing and. Wow. Yeah. You still have. Where's your board? My board's in Australia. Yeah. At at, at, at Folks' house. And my brother's house. Your brother's house. Yeah. And is he still surfing? Yeah. All my most of my brothers still surfing. What do they think of your Buddhism thing? Uh, the, that's just all, who I've always been. Sometimes they say, don't zen out on me. That's their yeah, line. Zen <laughs> don't out of zen out Which on me. Which means,
0: like, kind of like, stay stay in the fray, stay with us. Uh, uh, yeah, it's have like. a beer, put a shrimp uh, on the barbie. Sort of that, sort of that. Yeah, sort of that. Yeah. What do you think is uniquely Australian about you? What is? What does it mean to be Australian? What's the What's the gestalt of an Australian
1: person? I think Australian has, like, a she'll be right type attitude. Like, what they, kind of, that's like a relaxed attitude to to well, words drama. Say? She'll be right, mate. Is what we say.
0: <laughs> 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 it's sort of like a, <laughs> it'll be all right. It'll right. be all right. Like so, it's sort of like almost Jamaican or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. It's an island
1: kind of culture. Yeah, I, Australia, Australia's an island. So there's yeah. this sort of. I think of Australia be, now. I have a different perspective of Australia. I see Australia, although it's changing a lot and fast. Australia's a, a, there's, there's a real leisure culture about it, especially oh. where I grew up. Okay. There's a very God realm sort of sort So it's feel, not like yeah. work yourself to
0: death kind of thing like America is or N- Japan. Yeah.
1: There is, it's not like so, of course, if you work in Sydney down in Martin Place, yeah, where I used to work. Right. Um, yeah, there is that. But yeah. the general feel. Yeah. Everyone's chill. Yeah, chill. Yeah. And, you know, what's your next holiday? Right. How was your last holiday? Right. There's a lot of that, and now Australians are going to beat me up when I go back for saying uh, that, but uh, that's a the feeling they, maybe I get. They
0: won't. Maybe, yeah. they, maybe they you won't. Know, maybe that's part of the thing that they like. I think it's a fantastic part of the culture. Yeah. yeah. Now, in, as a Buddhist practitioner, where does chill fit in? What, what instruction have you ever received in, in your Buddhist studies that would equate to chill? Yeah. Uh, the
1: the yoga of chilling out, I like that yoga the best.
0: And what is that? Is that Mahamudra? Well, oh, ma-
1: Ramphache is the bit of, you know, that's one of his instructions. It's Rangsha Shakt, uh, just relax, relax. A lot of his meditation instructions is to relax, relax.
0: So that that's sort of Mahamudra style, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's kind of a sort of very developed, advanced style of meditation, but it's very simple at the same time, yeah. would you say?
1: the instructions very simple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the words are very simple, but... Yeah. So he's
0: telling you, okay, well, I'm going to give you this very ornate, elaborate practice to do, but just relax while you're doing it. Don't, don't, yeah,
1: yeah, so... Um, or don't even do the elaborate practice, which? Uh, most of, so it depends on the person, but for me, uh, may there's a lot of elaboration, but the essential point of the meditation practice is to rest and relax. It's oh, like Tulopa is famous. Like, Rinpoché is considered Tulopa, so he's famous. Rinpoche instruction: the instruction. me me It's like a uh, don't reflect, don't project, don't uh, don't fixate. Um, you know, just relax. Yeah.
0: Well, you just said a powerful thing, mm-hmm. Garwang Rinpoché, your teacher, mm-hmm. and who lives in Sikkim most yeah. of the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Is Considered to be an emanation, as we say sometimes in the mm. Tibetan tradition, of the founder of the entire Kagyu lineage, which is Tilopa, mm. who we mentioned earlier as a crazy yogi, who, by the way, lived by the, was a hippie by anybody's standards, yeah. lived by the banks of a river, mm-hmm. uh, was, um, you know, eating just the fish heads that the fishermen were throwing away. Mm. And when his key disciple, Naropa, who was, like I, I Call like the Bob Thurman of the of the of the ancestral story, <laughs> the professor, the PhD yeah. at, at, Narop, at Nalanda yeah. University, yeah. goes to find his teacher, and they say that's him over there, and he literally can't believe that that's going to be the guy who's going to teach him. Yeah. mind blowing. So, um, and you're saying that Garhwambi is in essence the same type of mind, the same type of energy.
1: Yeah, he's considered he's considered this, the emanation of Tulopa. Yeah. And has a close relationship with Trungpa Rinpoche. That's our, that's yeah. our brotherly dharma bond as well. That's, so our two teachers are... That's some deep stuff right yeah. there. Yeah. So
0: for those of you who are not into this lore, I mean, the basic point that we're making is that the quality of the realized uh, you know, practitioners and the Buddhists, they can be extremely spontaneous. Mm-hmm. It's not this programmed, highly intellectualized, calibrated thing. It's like you don't know what's going to happen next. Talopa was famous for upsetting uh, Naropa's expectations of what's going to happen next. Yeah, you know. So, um, do you have that relationship with your Talopa? Does he throw you off the top of buildings and make you? Rinpoche doesn't (laughs) throw me off the top of buildings. No,
1: (laughs) thank goodness. Yeah, I think it depends on the student, right? Yeah, I I couldn't handle it. Is there a way he pulls the rug out from? from Yeah, I think I think that's that's a good teacher will do that from time to time. Yeah, and Rinpoche definitely plays the complete role for me. Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, you know, this is an interesting thing for people who are just starting to pick up these threads in, in, in the West and explore uh, what these kind of teachings are. Uh, I think it's helpful to emphasize that there are many levels of teachers that you can encounter. Yeah. And you're talking about somebody who, you know, you're, you have a very deep, full commitment to. But aren't there also teachers who you know can just point, you know, give you instructions about how to meditate and how to do compassion practices yeah. and stuff? Could you say a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think um, there's many different types of teachers, and depending on the type of instructions you want, mm-hmm. different. Like you know, like learning anything, like learning mm-hmm. the piano, right? And you don't necessarily need to learn from like a Vladimir you know, Horowitz. Yeah, exactly. So okay, play your C scale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so I think there's the same in Buddhism. Yeah, huh? and I think that um, you have to, you have to know what register right. you're in as well, because it's important in right. terms of the way you relate to that teacher and that. Sure. So you don't, you know, and it's mutual too, isn't it? The, yeah, the teacher and the student are having a mutual creation. I think
0: people don't understand that either ah, completely. Yeah. I agree. You know, it's uh, it's like oh, it's the teacher's creation, but it's a mutual creation. Yeah. So um, it's 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 um, it's very unusual though that he's. From a classical Buddhist tradition, and, and giving you, t- treating you not like a kind of second-class uh, student, but really empowering you with the full with the full transmissions and teachings that he has.
1: It's, it's unusual. Uh, yeah, I think Rinpoche is uh, very very generous, very yeah. kind. And what yeah. kind of business person is he? He, you know, his father was an amazing businessman. Really, in Sikkim, he was he was. Um, so Rinpoche's grandfather was the the king of Sikkim. Right, well, there and you so go, his mother was, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, his mother was a prince. It's often in Buddhism, like the you know Buddha was a prince as well. Sure. So there's this theme that runs through, and I'm not really sure what that is. But and in any yeah. case, Rinpoche's father was a great um, businessman in Sikkim, yeah. and his his growing up, um, he he Rinpoche was either going to be a great businessman, no, yeah. or just or, like Buddha, or, or yeah. Sure. So that's what they say about him. Uh, his his uh. family says, wow, if he had gone into business, yeah. Uh, it would have been fantastic.
0: Well, and as it is, doesn't he advise people on all kinds of levels of activity, not just Dharma like if some, would somebody come and say "Should I buy this shopping mall?"
1: Yeah people do Rinpoche. that Yeah, So Rinpoche a, does
0: predictions and stuff like he that He does yeah, and well. he'll, or he'll did
1: him, Rinpoche do that Did people well come I, and ask him that sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, I think that in the traditional role of the Lama, yeah it, and it's hard there's no real comparable thing in the West, but you know in, in China and Japan yeah. and Tibet, the person's your physician, yeah, they're yeah. your strength. Uh, there you maybe your calligraphy teacher, yeah. you know, and um and your friend yeah. and advisor. So um I think anybody raised in that tradition as trunk Rinpoche was is used to people going, Oh, I have this new girlfriend, yeah. and should I what should I do? Should I marry her? and you know, he had two ways of interacting, three really. One was definitely do that. Yeah. Two was your guess is as good as mine, which is the mm-hmm. other extreme. And three was somewhere like looking at looking at the subtleties of what's going on and maybe exploring it with you, like helping you solve your life puzzle. I think I've seen remember I do all three as well. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they go, whoop. Yeah. Uh, what, what's that great saying, "Not my circus, not my clowns?"
1: Not my circus, not my clowns. I love it. I,
0: <laughs> I love that. It's, it, solves, it's, it solves a lot of problems when you just know when to say that. So maybe I mean when
1: it. I hear Rinpoche say it's not definite. Right. right. It's not definite when yeah. it, uh, he means not my circus, not my clowns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's uh,
0: you know, and, and, and you know, for us as students and as teachers, sometimes it's helpful. Uh, I have, uh, as you know, a, t- a Chinese teacher in, in New York, uh, mm. Sat Han. Mm. Master Han, who's—I uh, remember one time I was because you know me, I like to get inside people's little life puzzle and, and yeah. n- nudge around with yeah. them. And um, yeah, I was talking about somebody that way, and Sat Han said to me, "Eat your own noodles." Eat your own noodles.
1: Your own noodles. Wow, own noodles.
0: I love that saying. So that's another good one. Not my circus, not my concert. Eat your own noodles. You see,
1: these I think, like if you run your business like this yeah. or your creative project, yeah, it's gonna help. It's gonna help tremendously. So all these advices all these Dharma advices, right. I think they apply so much. Like, Yeah. You know, I always think of like the three trainings, Shila, Samadhi, Prajna. Yeah. Right? Okay. These can be applied. Can you explain what that is? For also, Shila think? is like discipline. Right. Uh, Samadhi is like uh, uh, concentration and attention right. and Prajna is wisdom. Okay. Intelligence. And so we can talk about Shila. Shila, yeah. right? Which is discipline. Um and This is Sanskrit, everybody. Though. Yeah, Sanskrit. Yeah. So um I feel like you know, basically the essence of it is don't do stupid stuff. Right?
0: <laughs> That's the wisdom That's the of Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't, so don't do
1: stupid stuff. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. Well, you know, no killing, no stealing, no lying, no sexual misconduct, right. no intoxicants. You, of course, you know, so in business, what, is, what, what can we grab? So if you're running your business, I think the, the no lying, the right speech, and no sexual misconduct is really important stuff to abide by. Sure. And it's and just go to work and don't do stupid stuff. Yeah, That's like baseline. Yeah, sure. Um, write speech and yeah. so like eat your own noodles is one of the yeah. advices.
0: Yeah. Eat your own noodles is even, um, you know, a redirection maybe of some intelligence that's gotten too active and too, mm. you know, it's an interesting thing in the Buddhist tradition, right? You have to ask for teachings. Mm-hmm. Also in sh- like shamanic traditions, you have to ask for a reading. Really? Yeah. So, like, uh, as far as I understand it, some people develop a, a high degree of intuition yeah. and they can read other people. Um, and so, the, the, my shaman friends, I said, Well, what do you do if you're in a restaurant, you know, and you mm. see someone, you start to get information coming in about the person? I thought, I thought, Well, okay, I understand the idea of don't go up to them, and tell them stuff. Yeah. But they took it farther. They said, Don't open the book, don't open
1: oh. Just turn it off. So this is, this is also related to eat your own noodles, like right? don't go yeah. there. Yeah, don't go there, yeah. even at the,
0: at, the, at the mental level. Yeah. So now let's talk about employees. Yeah. Because you're a boss, right? Yeah. So you have to eat the other people's noodles a little bit when you're the
1: boss, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Things, things can get complicated, right?
0: Yeah, so one of the, one of the things that um, I'm intrigued by is the overlay in the professional environment yeah. of the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ha- well, a do you like being a boss? Do you- I don't like the word boss, but I like being a boss. Okay, what word would you use? Leader. Leader. Okay, you like being a leader. Yeah, I like being a leader. Okay, and so what have you learned that you could share with everybody out there in?
1: Well, I always think, world? what Buddhist principles do I bring to play? And uh-huh. the wisdom people here, they know, like when, like I talk about samaya. Right. Actually. Right. Oh, at well, we talk about Sheila Samadhi Prajna. So Sheila, we interpret. As basically, I consider businesses, the business, internal business, and working with employees, and us all working together, is basically what we're doing is making promises to each other. Okay. So a whole you can boil the whole thing down to a group of people coming together, making promises to each other right. to get somewhere. Right. And so I say that. Um, so we in when I say when I use Buddhist terminology of wisdom, I say we're all making our samayas together. Mm-hmm. They're our commitments, so commitments, yeah, right? commitments. We make our commitments, and then our shila, our discipline. Our main discipline is to keep those commitments, mm-hmm. and so if I so in wisdom, how you how what would that might what might that look like? Editorials working on a manuscript, and they they have to finish it by a certain date, right. and in a certain um, it has to be in a certain condition to hand over to production. So that's a promise from editorial to, mm-hmm. to production. Right. There's one day timeline. Timeline, and it comes down to one single day. It's a promise, a deliverable, and so. That's the that's one of the main things that wisdom between those two departments, and so then people have a shared a shared commitment there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's two people that have a commitment around that date and what's going to be delivered, and so you have to honour that. That's really important. And so, um, and so, and so, how should that commitment? How should that samaya, if I'm still using the Buddhist terminology, come about? So we have a dialogical approach. So whoever's involved in that commitment. They will get together. What can you do? Right. When do you need it? Right. They come up. So they come up. It's not me saying that has to be ready on this date right. as a boss. Right. I'm like, so let's get around a table. What What are we all going to agree to and commit to hold? Right. And um and you know Buddhist Buddhist teachings and how I've worked with my teachers have really invo- informed my management style. And then I always say that. And then we have a thing where. So that's the that's the when we mm-hmm. share the when. Mm-hmm. Now the how is right is up is up to the person who's responsible, who's holding the manuscript or holding okay. the Okay, they do that
0: how? That's their noodles.
1: That I don't. Yeah, that's their noodles. That's right. my and everyone. You don't care how they're going to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. As long as they turn up on that day and honor their commitment. So you don't micromanage it that point. Yeah, I think that's the independence. That's the that's the skillful means, right? That's, that's a great template. That's such a great model yeah. for running something. And then we say we always say. You can talk about the how, right? But when you haven't, it's the time to talk about the how is not when you're not going to make the when. Mm-hmm. So you don't turn up like, to the the day of the when mm-hmm. and start talking about the how. Right. You need to have done that months ago, and that's the that's the sort of language we use around wisdom. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly. Uh, I wonder if
0: if that 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 principle has been expostulated anywhere really care, skillfully because that's a really good principle for business. Maybe. Mm-hmm when you get an mba they teach you that but i doubt it. Mm-hmm. you know i really doubt it. what about leaving business at yeah. w- at work like do you, are you ever at home on your bed at 11 at night typing an email because somebody's up in in uh in singapore at that time or uh, is your work lacing through your everyday life in, in in a kind of invasive way?
1: um it's lacing through my life i wouldn't say it's invasive. yeah so you know i can you know, my practice and the the business sort of always, always operating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I you know, I'm interested in this idea. We talk about energy and virya. Yeah, virya. They're keeping energy together. And then that may need turning off at some stage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. turning off the email, turning off the yeah. computer. So just what what
0: what you're referring to is um, there's a chapter called Mo- learning yeah. how to monitor your energy, which is um, Kind of intriguing as you practice meditation, even if you practice for a day, mm. you notice your energy lagging. They call it laxity and elation, right? Yeah. Those, those are the two obstacles to having a steady practice. So when you start to sag, you know, which is, you know, when you're doing a lot of things, you're carrying a lot of weights. You start to like a, an old mule, you just go, I don't want to do, I don't want to hear one more pe- person coming into my office. I don't want to hear one more complaint about the timeline, yeah. you know. Do you have any sort of techniques that you use to kind of rouse your 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 uh, what we
1: call wind Yeah. I think um some, the idea of sum, so now I use another context uh, mm-hmm. a Buddhist con- concept is sum. and that's that sum means like border. So um, if you go into retreat, you create a sum around oh, you. Okay. And so I do uh, the first weekend of every month, um, those two days are retreat days. So I do a proper sum, I don't come out of the house, I do my practice. And then I'll do, like, I just came back from a month in Sikkim. So I think those times are really important for re-energizing. Right. So yeah. leaving time for
0: formal, uninterrupted formal practice with a boundary around it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Meaning mean you don't dialogue. answer
0: emails during that time? Oh, no.
1: The internet's turned off. Internet's off. That's part of the psalm, turning oh, off the internet. No, that's, this could. There's another book right there. Yeah, yeah. There's another book right there. Yeah, no, this is, and yeah. for creativity, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah, wow, this space you can give
0: yourself. I think so many people are steadily, steadily, steadily not having any song, yeah, and it's going away. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is there's a kind of um obsessive and relentless quality of communicating, and there's no refreshment, yeah, of this rejuvenation principle. So, you know, somebody was asking the other day, what about you know, are we head membering up? We did the the
1: the, the Q&A, live Q&A. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and somebody was saying, how do you, in a world that's obsessed with this kind of communication technology, how do, how do you establish any kind of ground of sanity? I'm pretty convinced that there's going to have to be some. I think that we now have a way of talking about it, where you, you whatever form it's taken, even if it's a chip in your head, you turn it off. Yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. Know, and you just go back into the still, you know, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, I quote him a lot, mm. the three pills, you know the no. three pills? No. He says that you have to take the red pill, the white pill, and the blue pill. And the first one is stillness. Yeah. Second one is silence. Mm-hmm. The third one is spaciousness. Yeah. And he, that's what he describes meditation, mm. which I love. I've kind of like, uh, you know, shamelessly quoted and, and imported and, and, and that. Because that puts it in a very simple place for somebody who doesn't speak the, you know, the secret handshake coded yeah, language. Yeah. yeah stillness i get that don't move yeah try not moving for, for a while without going to sleep yeah westerners when they stop moving they fall asleep immediately mm-hmm. for the most part um, i went to a meditation place in in l.a and they were like couches people were lying down <laughs> that was their idea of like okay that's the only way i'm going to get out of this thing is i just got to collapse um, but stillness and then silence oh, and spaciousness and I think if you just, those are the viruses that are coming entering the system. Well, we, we should think of, of those as
1: food. Like they it's like a food. Mm. Stillness, silence. Oh. This is like a food for food that for creativity, food for your practice. Mm. It's like eating, sleeping. Yeah. you need, you need oh. these times. That's why mm. you need a psalm. I think you're right. I think you know, five years time, there's going to be t- people knocking down your door saying, David, take me to the monastery. Um, where I can put my phone around, away. It's around happening already. The yeah.
0: It's interesting in the corporate, high-end corporate world, there's a, a tremendous interest in going away to these places. Yes. Yeah. Latin America or Asia or whatever. Um, and, you know, maybe some interest in the, the Buddhist side. Yeah. But definitely in the transformative experiences, like going for an ayahuasca journey or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that, sign me up. Yeah. Um, but the idea that they could then take the same principles they learned of sort of steady, precise way of being and bring that over to a, a form of practice, I think that's going to be a slow fit because people are burnt out and they're looking for a kind of relief.
1: Yeah, no, I imagine, I imagine you know, the monastery at Sikkim that I go to, yeah. I imagine taking a group of CEOs there and, and running some sort of like a SAM sort of uh, program there. Yeah. I think that And would, you designing the content. Yeah, I, oh, I, well, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the content's pretty self-evident.
0: Yeah, so I, when you talk about creating a program like that in mm. Sikkim and allowing people to go on that as a sort of a journey for them and catering a little bit so that they don't see it as something exotic, No, my intuition is lately a lot of people have been not reclining in the Asian. They're actually building them up, yeah, yeah. the monasteries and things like yeah. that. And I have to think somebody with powerful, powerful mind and mm. awareness is going, We're gonna create a bridge. Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna like begin to ship people back and forth over the bridge, just like <laughs> just like the cover of the book where yeah, there's absolutely. the monastery and they're coming down from the monastery. And this is the important part, coming back into the world. Yeah. It's kind of um inspiring, you know, to, to talk with you as it always yeah. is. We we um yeah. all the people on my podcast are people I talk like this with anyhow. Yeah. So it's just been a kind of um I anticipate having a lot of fun with it and the conversations move gracefully between you know spiritual practice mm-hmm. uh life you know everyday life and and um creative ideas about business mm-hmm. um so it's uh you know fantastic that we're on this journey together daniel oh
1: no i yeah. i treasure this friendship yeah i'm glad we can work together it's yeah. like tendril in action yeah and i think your book is really important because it's really at the forefront of Bringing these ideas in a practical way for people to in their li- daily life, yeah. just like live this stuff, yeah. find freedom, find, find creativity, uh, and and really ex- you know dissolve these like this duality between spirituality and you know daily life. Yeah, I think this is what the West may be, the West's role as Buddhism comes to the West. Mm-hmm. This could be one of the main roles this integration sure Sure. well wonderful thank you so much for
0: joining the podcast and i hope we can have you back again soon (laughs) of course okay
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash Be Here Now.